everybody doing? Good, good, good. Glad you're all with us this morning. I want to remind you all this little deal inside your bulletin, that actually folds and it tears off. So if you're new, newer, you can tear that off. You can drop it in the offering box there by the door. We'd be happy to connect with you and just answer questions or whatever. Don't worry, we won't bug you. I say that every single week. We are not that church that'll put you on the incessant list of tormenting you, but we do want to help answer your questions if we can. And then on the back of that, this is for everybody. Put your prayer requests on there. We want to know how we can be praying for you, especially in the holiday season, because I know so much comes up in this season. If you drop that in the offering box, we'll get you on the prayer chain. We keep you in prayer, and we lift up your needs and believe with you for God to meet what's going on in your life. So, okay, grab your bulletins, a few announcements going on around um, the church, our, our 2019 elder nominations. You guys have this little deal inside your bulletin. If you've not filled one out yet, fill one out, please. And just we want to hear from you who the people are that are impacting your life spiritually. What we do as an elder board is we pray over their names. Sometimes we walk with people, disciple them. Sometimes we help them to grow. Um, but we take a season of praying to appoint people to help serve and oversee the church. So you could do that, fill it out, drop it in the offering box. That would be a blessing for us. Um, community outreach, uh, you can come help distribute. You guys know that we collected jackets and gloves and that sort of stuff. Um, we'll be at the Lutheran Church on Friday the 20th at 6 p.m. Um, Connection Corner has directions, all that sort of stuff. So you can join together, sign up there, get directions, and go on out to help just be a blessing to those who could use you know, socks and gloves and that sort of thing because it's cold and a lot of people are struggling. They're homeless. So we're just trying to be a blessing to them, especially in the middle of winter. Um, we also are looking for those interested. We want to la launch a, an outreach um, into San Bernardino. And we've done this on a few different occasions uh, over the years, San Bernardino, Ontario, various places. Uh, there was a park that we went and just scouted. Um, I think it's between 2nd and 3rd Street downtown. You work right there, don't you, Sandra? That gen no, you don't anymore? Oh, you're in Rancho, oh, okay. Um, but anyways, it's, it's a rough neighborhood, and there's a lot of people there who need help. I, I mean, San Bernardino has one of the larger homeless populations in the nation, actually. Um, so we just want to see if we can go be a blessing there. So if you're interested in being part of something like that, I just need you to sign up. What we're going to do is have a meeting and try to just plan and, and get something on the calendar that's consistent. Now, I want to encourage you. Sometimes we get a little bit of a, afraid of doing that sort of stuff. Um, or, or you're unfamiliar with it, but the reality is this. If you were out there cold, would you want somebody to bring you something to eat and put socks on your feet? You would. So we just want to be able to be a blessing to people. And, and also, just honestly, as your pastor, I want to stretch you out a little bit. We get really comfortable. We come into the church. It's comfortable. It's not, not, too, not too daring in here. Um, but sometimes we just need to be a little bit more um, outward. Outward. And just be a blessing to people. So if you're interested in that, Sign up at Connection Corner. We're going to set up a meeting, and we'll pull you guys in and, and make some plans about getting that launched. want to remind you our family Christmas service is next Sunday on the 22nd. That'll be like kids and verses and a play and singing and a little bit of preaching. be doing Christmas carols together. Um, one of my uh, favorite services of the year, because I love spotlighting kids for one. Kids always do the darndest things, yes? So it should be fun. Um, bring family, bring friends, come on out. Um, if you are interested, by the way, and we'll have a list of those next week in a Christmas Eve service, we'll get you uh, times for the East Avenue campus. They have a, a number of them going on on Christmas Eve. Um, we won't. I gave my staff the day off, which means I'm taking the day off too. So I'm going to be with family on the 24th, which is a rare thing for me. Uh, over the years, I've spent more. Um, never mind. I'm not going <laughs> to. 
if you, I'll give you dates for the Christmas Eve service down at East, but we will be here next Sunday for our Christmas service. Okay, so there we go. Um, Christmas blessing. If you guys can figure out my mic, that would be great. And if you need to go behind me, everybody will know what you're doing, so it's fine. Um, and they're like, why is a guy on the stage messing around? Um, Christmas blessing is for those that you know that need help. So if you know somebody that's, you know, maybe they're underemployed, maybe it's a bad season, you know, maybe they lost a job, maybe their car broke down, maybe they'd just be blessed by not having to spend money on a Christmas meal. Um, we just need to know who they are. We'll get them a, a gift card and provide a grocery card so that they can go buy some uh, Chris I keep keep wanting to say Thanksgiving because we did it at Thanksgiving but we'll provide them some Christmas stuff nope, still only this one um, that will allow them to go get some groceries all we need you to do is sign them up either on your bulletin tear off um, with your contact information also um, it, or a connection corner either way but we would like to help them and last but not least young adults we're eating together at one o'clock made baked pasta You'll enjoy it. If you want to hang out that long, people, I'll feed you the leftovers. No, I'm playing. But no, it's seriously, young adults, 1 o'clock, we'll be right here. We'll have our little uh, Christmas gathering, eat some food together, play some games. Okay, so read your bulletins. I say this every week. There's lots of information in there um, that will help you understand what's going on around the church and events. So, all right, can we pray, get into the Word this morning? Father, I want to thank you that we can gather together um, to look at the Word, to celebrate this season. And, and God, I pray that you would uh, open up our hearts um, just to the bigness of your grace and your love. And God, I pray also that I would uh, speak clearly, that I would communicate something that is meaningful um, to each heart in the room. And God, I know that when we gather together, we gather together to worship you, but there's this sense of being in communion with God that changes us. And God, I invite that to happen Holy Spirit, we welcome you to have your way in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so are we just going to go this way? We don't know why. Okay. I'm Italian, so if it does this a little bit, that's because I'm talking, okay? So anyways, we started last week, and I wanted to take a different look um, at Christmas, and we started by looking at the genealogies, and last week, we really, if you had a messed up family, you left here feeling pretty good. Because we looked at Jesus' genealogy and we went, wow, his family was kind of messed up. I mean, there was everything from adultery to, it was crazy. There's just all sorts of stuff. Well, we're going to look at a couple more individuals this morning. We're going to look at Rahab and Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus. But before we get there, I want you to think like this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to man who, with whom God is pleased. So I wanted to just bring this idea that God's glory brings us peace. And sometimes when we look at some of the difficulty that you see in the scriptures, the, the, the way that people's lives were actually framed up, it gives us hope because we realize, man, even if we've made big mistakes, how many of you have made big mistakes? All of us in the room have made what? Big mistakes. We learn this from the, from the scriptures that God can redeem big mistakes. So that's why I love what we're doing. It's not going to feel warm, fuzzy, Christmassy necessarily. Might be a little more technical than you're used to on a Christmas service, 
But I just want to encourage you, hang in there. I hope you learn a few things about these two individuals. So Ruhab and uh, Ruhab. <laughs> I said Ruth and Rahab together. Rahab and Ruth. Now, what's cool about God is God likes strange things. He likes strange people too. You're like, you can look at your neighbor and say, you're strange. You're saying, and God likes you because God does really like, he calls us a peculiar people. He does like strange things. Well, when we're looking at the genealogies, in Matthew 1, 5, and 6, just continuing on, just a couple verses, it says that Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king. That's important. It says David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who, who had been the wife of Uriah. So in this, this text, he's just two verses, we have three women mentioned. Now, one thing you're going to figure out pretty quickly is in, in Jewish culture, you don't talk about women publicly. You certainly don't put them in the Bible, okay? That's just not what they do. Oh, man, could you imagine, like, the, the Scripture writers in today's, like, political environment? Like, you don't ever talk about women? Yeah, people would be all up in arms, wouldn't they? Okay, that wasn't that funny. Let's keep going. Okay, so, so let's talk about Rahab. God's people are heading into the promised land. So Rahab, who was she? Well, we know she was a harlot. We also know this. She was a foreigner. She, she was a Canaanite. She wasn't a, a, an Israelite. So she wasn't from the people of God. So you got a harlot who's a foreigner, and, and she's a woman. So she's got kind of three strikes against her just starting out. Now, mind you, you've got the people of God. They're heading to the promised land, but they just spent 40 years where? In the desert heading to the promised land. By the way, if you do any studying on this, you'll find this is about an 11-day journey. So if you had an 11-day journey and you got lost for 40 years, you would think, does somebody have GPS, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you think, like, there's got to be a better way to get there? 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses, their beloved leader, he just died. Joshua is about to take over. So you've got a lot of transition, lots of things going on. Joshua's first job is this, go conquer Jericho, the fortified city of the Canaanites. Now, what if you just took a new job and they said, oh, by the way, here's the most difficult task. Go be successful at it. Now, mind you, just the chapter before we figure this out, God is saying to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Don't lose heart. I'm with you. The guy was afraid to go do what God had called him to do understandably because he's following up behind Moses who's regarded as probably the greatest leader in Israel's history. So why is Rahab significant? Woman, a foreigner, a harlot. Also, she's the first Gentile convert in the Bible. She's the first non-Jewish person to connect with God. Now, I don't know about you guys. Think about this. So God, who's your first pick? Uh, how about the harlot in the city of the, the unbelievers? Let's pick that person. See, that, you got to think, like, God thinks differently about people than we do. You, you really, like, when we look at marginalized people, we're always saying, no. And God is saying, yes, I actually want to pick people who live and believe like that. So open up your Bibles, Joshua chapter 2. We're going to walk through Rahab's little story. And it is really hard to not talk with my hands and stuff, I'm just saying. Okay, so Joshua chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, your phones, whatever you click to, Go ahead and go there. We're going to walk through the chapter together. It says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, this is verse 1, sent two men as spies secretly into Shittim, saying, 
Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, I just got to, you know, I'm going to point out a couple of obvious things. Why did they go to a harlot's house? Like sometimes, don't you think God has a sense of humor sometimes? Okay, help me out, church. You're not talking to me at all this morning. Doesn't God sometimes really have a sense of humor? Like if, if he was going to send you in somewhere, like he's like, oh, you know, Mickey, I really want you to go do this thing for me. By the way, go hang out at the prostitute's house. Now, I'm not trying to be funny as much as that doesn't seem like where you should probably go. And by the way, your men going to the prostitute's house. This is going to look bad, right? right. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just sometimes think God has a sense of humor. And it was told the king of Jericho saying, Behold, men of the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So she's covering for them. It's going to go on to say that she hides them on the roof, but she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to Jordan to the fords. And as soon as they were done pursuing them, they, or as soon as they were pursuing them, they had gone out. They shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up on the roof. You know, like sometimes I see this, and this is kind of what goes on in my head. How many of you guys ever seen Indiana Jones? The very first one. You remember when he goes into that like really shady bar and the, the gals there that used to be his love? I, I don't remember what her, Marion, I think is her name. This is kind of the setting here. Like everything's all secretive. Like they sneak in. They're trying to figure it out. It kind of has that sort of a feeling to it. Like everything's kind of undercurrent. And, and she hides them up on the roof underneath the flax. And then she sneaks up to them. Like, hey, check it out. This is the plan. I know that the Lord has, has given the land, has given you the land. Now, mind you, watch. Let me read a little more. And the terror... Uh, of you has fallen on us that the inhabitants of the land have melted before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt and, and what you did to the two kings of Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you utterly destroyed. Okay, so let, let's just pause for a second. How much earlier did that happen? At least 40 years. They've been wandering for 40 years. So anybody ever had something really cool go on and then you talk about it like years later? Oh, I was an athlete when I was in high school. I was awesome. 40 years later, no one cares. They don't care. But listen, there's a reputation that is happening here. 40 years later, this lady is watching them come in and she's like, okay, wait, these were the people who got lost in the desert 11 day journey, 40 years? They can't be that strong. I mean, wouldn't you be thinking that? Like, how formidable could they be? She wasn't worried about the people. She was worried about their God. She understood this, that their God was powerful. Their God took out the kings. Their God led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. By the way, he'll lead you through stuff on dry ground too, amen? See, sometimes we forget that God does that kind of stuff. 
But what you see in Rahab is, is she's like remembering, she's recognizing like your God is powerful. In verse 11, it says, when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he's the God of heaven above and the earth beneath. So she's declaring something. Remember, she's the first Gentile convert. That sounds like a profession of faith to me. What about you guys? I understand that your God is the all-powerful God. He's the one of heaven above and the earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, our lives for your lives, if we do not tell our, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So, so let's just talk about this a second. You got a woman who's a harlot who recognizes the guys. The king tries to catch them. He sticks them, she sticks them up on the roof, hides them, and then comes and says, I want a way out and I want to be on your side. Now, was Jericho a weak city, by the way? No. It was not a weak city. This was not like a, a pushover. This wasn't like the bully beating up the little kid. This was a fortified city. This was a city that could only be won by the power of God and later was won by the power of God. How did they get Jericho, church? They, they marched around it. You know, let's go to war, guys. Here's a trumpet. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm going to kill somebody with a trumpet? Uh, you see what I'm saying? Like, if God is in it, God is in it, right? And so she says, listen, let's strike a deal. Here's the deal. I'll become one of you if you'll spare my family. That's a big deal. I'll become one of you if you'll look out for my family. Now, they go on to tell her that we'll do this, but you got to tell your family to stay indoors. Because if they come out when we're fighting and we happen to kill one of them, their blood's on your hands, not ours. That's what he goes on to, to discuss with Rahab. And let's just read it through. It says, Then she let him down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. So what she, so what she was living on was the wall. She said to them, Go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward, you may go on your way. Like I said, she's that person who knows how things happen. She's a harlot in the city. She's a woman of the night. She knows how things, it's just like Marion in Indiana Jones. She knows how things work. That's what's happening. She knows how things work. She says, now listen, I'm gonna let you out. You're gonna go run into the wilderness. Stay there three days because if you come out faster than that, they might catch you on the way back. She said, go hide. Go keep yourself safe. So she's basically allying with them. She's helping them figure out how not to get killed. But if I tell you our business, like I said, we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. Verse 21, she said, according to your words, let it be so. So they sent them away and they departed and she tied a scarlet cord on the window. Why scarlet, church? Represents the blood of Christ. This is typological in the Old Testament. They departed and came to the hill country, and they remained there three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them. Then the two men returned, and they came down from the hill country, crossed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, 
and they related to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all of the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants have melted away before us. So Rahab basically is a benefit to the people of God to accomplish the work of God. Now she's outside. She's a foreigner. She's a harlot. She's a woman. These are all negative things. So, so she is one of those people that, that is also from a tribe that is against the people of God. She, she was trying to get them all the way along, and now she's fighting against them, and she's trying to ally with them. She's trying to, in other words, she's trying to enter into richness and blessing. That's what's actually happening here. But let's look at just a few things from Rahab's life. Rahab, she was worldly. She wasn't godly. How many of you guys ever come across somebody worldly who helps you? Sometimes it's just orchestrated by God. She's a prostitute. Her conversion made her an honest woman. She's now marriageable by Jewish tradition. So she's now a legitimate potential bride for somebody. So how did Rahab get saved? Like, how did she become part of this Jewish community? How did it happen? Nope, that's not how it happened. How do we all get saved? That was a good answer, though. I like that. How do all of us get saved? No, not baptized. It's one word. F-A-I-T-H. How do you get saved? By faith. We all get saved by faith. So did Rahab. Boy, that was terrible, you guys. That was really, I mean, normally you guys get it in an answer, too. You guys are all over the place this morning. That was great. It was a little humorous, too. But hey, she got saved by faith. In Hebrews 11:31, it says this, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So once we become in, uh, part of Christ's community, our past is removed. Once Rahab became part of God's community, her past was what? Removed. L listen, can I help some of y'all? Stop living out of your past. Oh, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I grew up in. You don't know how bad my parents were. You don't know all the mistakes. You know, I haven't done everything you've done, but I've done some things you've done. Probably some worse than you've done. Maybe you've beat me out a few times too. I don't know. We've all done dumb things though. That's the point I'm making. But your past gets removed when you come to Christ. But when you, when you keep pulling your past back into who you are now, it's kind of confusing, not only for yourself, but also for God. Like, I didn't make you an orphan. I didn't make you a drug addict. I didn't make you an alcoholic. You chose sin. See, when Rahab came over, she just said, listen, just let me hang out with your people. Let me be part. Your God will be my God. That's basically what she said. And when she did that, what happened is she later meets a guy who's an Israelite. And the Israelite guy marries her. And then what happens with her? She becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. Okay, so she's, she's a foreigner, a harlot. I mean, come on. She's not a believer. How does that happen exactly? How does somebody end up in the messianic line if that's their history? What, watch, watch. How do you end up as part of the household of God if your history is as bad as I know some of your histories? How do you end up? How do you end up there? How do you end up there? Come on, talk to me, church. How do you end up in the household of God if your history is that bad? I've already said it. One word. Faith. Faith. You say, I'm going to take an exchange. I'm going to receive Christ as my Savior in exchange for. He came as a Messiah, and he did this. It's a type. It's a picture of what Rahab did. 
And each one of us can benefit from what she did just by learning. See, listen, listen. God doesn't care about your backstory. And everybody has a what? Every single one of us in the room. We all have a backstory. He doesn't care about that. See, faith is the catalyst to the impossible. When you start to walk in faith, everything changes. Your destiny changes. You go from hell to heaven. You go from broken to healed. Your whole life changes. Am I talking to anybody? Come on, I'm, I'm preaching better than your amen. I'm sure of that. Your whole life changes when you start to step into the possibility of God. That's all initiated by faith. All initiated by faith. See, man, God can even use you. You're like little old me? Yes. Little old you. God can even use little old you. Uh, if he couldn't, then there wouldn't be so many mess-ups in the Bible that are pictures for us. Now, I said this last week, and I think it bears repeating. That doesn't mean go mess up. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Not a permission to live in sin. No. Not a permission to be a dingleberry or a knucklehead. You know, all, all the words I use for you guys. Not permission to do that. It's this. When you've done that, you have an advocate in Jesus. We start to step into this lifestyle of faith. So Rahab, we can learn from her. We can learn that God can take a, a distracted, mistaken, faithless life. And once we exercise faith, he can change your whole destiny. That's what he did with her. That's what he does with us. So now Ruth is the next person that is in his lineage. So what makes Ruth significant? She's a woman. She's also a foreigner. She's a widow. Now Ruth is a Moabite. Moab was the son of Lot by his own daughter. Like I said, if, if you've got a dysfunctional family, I promise the Bible's worse. It's worse. So you've got a, 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 a guy who was born through incest. And God says, man, I'm against these folks. I'm not okay with that sort of stuff. So Moab, though, over the years, basically was one of those groups of people. You guys don't know how hard it is for me to do this. You, man, I'm like off. This is throwing me off. I'm not flowing because I'm used to being able to do this, and I can't do it. Drive me crazy. I'm sorry if you're new. I, I apologize, but but it is very difficult for me not to be able to do the, what I normally do. I, it, so, anyways, okay. So Ruth, she's a Moabitess, and the Moabites were people who were always kind of the the nudge. You guys ever see like there's always somebody who's against against. They were always causing problems. They were always resisting the people of God. And Ruth is a Moabitess. She's part of this, this clan of incestuous relationship that brought about Moab. So I don't know about you guys. You ever had a rock in your shoe? And it's annoying. That's Moab for Israel. Annoying. They were just the annoying group of people who never, ever brought about anything that was positive. This is what God says. This is how much God was against them. Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 5, it says this. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So God was so against them, they can't even enter the assembly of God. None of their descendants, even to the 10th generation, which by most biblical standard means it's long. Like it's not giving you actually 10 generations. It's likely saying they'll never be welcomed. That's actually what he's, he's inferring there. Even to the 10th generation that shall enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. So when God was trying to take the people into the promised land, the Moabites said, we're not going to help you. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Bor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you, nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse 
into a blessing. Somebody should say amen to that because that's what he does with us too. For you, because the Lord your God loves you. How I many of you guys remember the story of Balak and Balaam? King Balak was the king of the, the Moabites. Okay, you guys read your Bibles. Help me out. You guys. Yeah, yeah. Jason's the only one answering me. I want the rest of y'all to answer. Come on. You guys remember the story of Balak and Balaam? The king Balak goes and gets Balaam, a false prophet, to curse the people of God. And every time he goes to do it, he blesses them. Because you cannot do what's opposite of what God does. You just can't do it. So, so that was why God hated them so much, because they were always the people trying to get them. Always the people who are trying to curse God's people. See, see they, the Moabites, they were cursed by God because they rejected the true God. They rejected God's people. They practiced idolatry, and they sacrificed their children in the fire. Man, I, I mean, th this group of people was really off. But wait, Ruth is a Moabite, and she's going to be David's great-grandmother. How does that happen? How do you get the beloved king of Israel with a foreign Moabitess who God said could never, ever come in? How does that happen? Because God can use anybody. It's all about grace, you guys. It's all about believing that God can bring possibility out of things that seem like they have no possibility in them anymore. Now, I, I don't know about you all, but this is, you know, whatever. Call it the journey I'm in. Maybe the journey some of you are in as well. And you'll say, man, life has been tough. Has life been tough for anybody else in the room? You have seasons that are difficult. Sometimes seasons feel like years, and years feel like multiple years, and you're kind of like, hello, God. Am I talking to anybody right now? Yeah, yeah, where there's like, it just seems like one thing after the next, after the next. And what I'm, I'm learning myself, and you're like, you're a pastor. Yeah, but we're all in a journey, amen? What I'm learning myself is you have to just say yes to God. You have to walk in faith. You can't let yesterday's mistake determine tomorrow's future. You can't. We're called to walk in faith. We're called to live by faith. See, watch, watch. I am trying to connect with you guys just a bit right now. Anybody made any crazy mistakes in the last, I don't know, month, six months? Any crazy mistakes in the room? Okay, got a few hands up. A few honest people. The rest of y'all, you ain't telling the truth. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> I, know, I know life. You make mistakes and you make decisions and God still pursues and restores. And then he says this, don't let that yesterday define who you are tomorrow. You know, there's a song out by House Fires. It's called, I'll Give Thanks. And one of the lines in the song, it says that, that like this season doesn't tell my story. Like, I don't know about you, but if you're in a season that's tough, that doesn't actually tell the whole story of God in your life. So if you've looked at your life, you know, whether you're brand new to Christ or you're a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, like myself, you can look and say, hmm, I can see the fingerprint of God in my life. And if I'm in a bad season now, that doesn't tell the whole story of his history in my life. It doesn't do that. And God is trying to remind many of us in the room that whatever happened to you in this window that was difficult is not your whole story. See, sometimes we have to remember that God is a forgiver. Sometimes we have to remember that he's a God of redemption, which we're going to see in this story of Ruth, that he's a God who brings things back together that are out of order. Nothing that we can do that would earn it. Nothing we can do that would earn it. But God simply, simply loves us, pours out his grace on us, extends to us what we could never 
ever do for ourselves. So back to Ruth. She's a Moabitess. Ruth marries one of the sons of Naomi. Naomi is her mother-in-law. Naomi's husband dies. Both of her sons die, which also means that Ruth's husband dies. She was married to one of the, the sons. So you have three widows living together. By the way, in, in Israeli or Jewish culture, if you're a widow, you're like lower class. You're like bottom rung, like you did something, God judged you, something happened. Well, you got three of them living together. I mean, man, this has got to be like depression to the nth degree. Three people mourning, hurting. Well, one of the daughter-in-laws, she says, hey, I want to go back to my people. Is that okay? And they hug each other, they cry, and off she goes. And the mother-in-law says, Naomi to Ruth, she says, you should go as well. Go back. You're young. You're pretty. You can still get married. And she says, no, 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 no. I'm going to stay with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Again, the salvation of a Gentile front and center. That's what you're seeing. In the lineage of Jesus, bringing about possibility for mankind. That's powerful to me. See, she was a widow, a foreigner. She's cursed. And now they show up in this, this camp, and Boaz has fields. Boaz, a wealthy man. Now, in Jewish culture, if you were a widow, there was the possibility for there to be a law that would exercise like a brother who could marry you. So if you had a brother who wasn't married, you could marry your sister-in-law. And it was to carry on the inheritance. Now, we kind of think, ooh, that's weird, don't we? Like, I, you know, I wouldn't marry my sister-in-law. That's kind of odd. But in this culture, it was actually expected. It, listen, it was actually regarded. In fact, if the opportunity was there, you were given the option to opt in or out, but the expectation was that you would opt in. And the picture here, so that you understand, is a picture of redemption. You're bringing about the possibility of inheritance, of lineage, of, of a legacy, of history. So that's what Boaz has the possibility of doing. Now, some of you who are Bible students, you'll know that Boaz is re regarded as the kinsman redeemer. He's a type of Jesus, by the way, in the Old Testament, which is why Ruth shows up in the lineage of Jesus. So you've got this whole picture of things that are going on. And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn my back from following you. Where you go, I will go. This is verse 16 of chapter 1. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. See, this is the point of salvation for Ruth. She's now expressing a commitment. But wait a minute. Didn't we just read a second ago that no Moabite will ever be welcomed into the temple? Didn't we just read that? So, so what's, what's happening here? Listen, God is in the business of breaking curses. He's in the business of making possibility where there isn't any possibility. Now, in line with this, Isaiah prophesies in this season, and he's speaking of Gentiles in this prophecy. I'm only going to read a few verses. This is out of Isaiah 56. Now, I warned you guys, it's a little technical, but just hang with me for a second. Verse 6 of chapter 56 of Isaiah, it says, Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love him, to be his servants, Everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant, even those I'll bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. For how many people? 
all people. This is different than what we read in Deuteronomy. Would you agree? Deuteronomy was like, if you're not part of my tribe, you're out. And if you're from Moab, you're cursed. And now it just flipped over. What happened? God's plan. God's plan of redemption. God's desire to bring all mankind into a fold. By the way, isn't this why Jesus came at Christmas? Now why he came? He came to bring about possibility, peace on earth, goodwill toward mankind with whom he's pleased. God is in the business of bringing about redemption. So back to Ruth. She could marry a kinsman if he was willing to take her. So that was part of Jewish custom, that it would keep the lineage going. So she gleans from Boaz's field, and look at what he says to her. This is back to Ruth chapter 2. And just for time, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but verses 11 and 12 say that Boaz replied to her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law, in other words, she has a track record. This is Ruth after the death of her husband, has been fully reported to me and and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and you came to a people that you did not previously know. In other words, you left everything you were familiar with, you attached yourself with the house of God. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Listen, this is all mankind that we come from whatever background we come to, and when we say yes to God, he says you're covered. How many of you guys need to be covered? with Someone thank you for one amen. I know I'm not preaching well. The mic's messing with me. It is, I promise. It's hard for me to do this. But I'm telling you that God looked at every single one of us in the room and said, you're lost, I found you. Come on in. You, you were doing these things, and I want you to do them. I want to buy you back. Christmas is about Jesus coming into the world to purchase us as his redemption. That's what it's about. And when we look at these, these genealogies, we're like, wait, is this a new idea for God? Did he just change? Like, sometimes we think of God like this, like it's in the moment. I think I'll do it this way now, and I think I'll change my mind here, and oh, these people did that, so let's go do this. Never what God did. God had a plan before the foundations of the world with what he would accomplish in the earth. So his plan was always to bring in everybody See, the Jews were always intended to be a light to all mankind, not just for themselves, for all mankind. That's why God just like, he changes the whole thing with Isaiah. He says, whoever will come and worship me and honor me is welcome. By the way, any, anybody Jewish in the room? Actually of Jewish descent, anybody? Okay, so a little bit, got a little bit here. The rest of you all are Gentiles. I love you. This is better news than you think it is. Because <laughs> otherwise, in a Jewish setting, you would not have been welcomed. You would have had to stay on the outer courts. You wouldn't have been able to come in and worship. You wouldn't have got any of the blessings. So Ruth gets home, and Naomi says, where have you been? And she says, I've been out gleaning. And whose field did you glean? Boaz. Now, by the way, this is a coincidence. She had no idea. She finds out that Boaz is a near relative. So, so Naomi, the good mother-in-law that she is, she's like, hey, wait a minute. Like, you could marry homeboy? And this would all be redeemed. Like the loss of my son, we could carry on lineage. This would be good for both of us because, you know, well, like we're both widows and we're both hungry and we're having to glean. Like when they would glean, this is what would happen. The people would pick and they would go behind them with stuff that dropped. And they would be able to pick it up. But watch, you know what Boaz does with her? He says to all of his workers, let her glean wherever she wants. Let her glean, not just the crumbs. Let her go into the bushes and pick from the vine. Let her get the good stuff. 
not the stuff that's just falling off the table. And Naomi's like, so where were you guys with Boaz? You do realize he's a relative. So she says this to her. Oh, listen, this is what we're going to do, honey. You go take a bath and get all pretty. She does, I swear. She does. She, and then she says, and then go back. And when Boaz is done eating, and then he goes to bed, I want you to go, and I want you to uncover his feet, and I want you to lay at his feet. Now, you know what every American person does? This is dirty. We all think that this is X-rated. This is not X-rated. This is cultural. This has nothing to do with sex, folks. Has nothing to do with her being promiscuous. Has nothing to do with anything wrong. This was how a woman who was a widow could go to a, a person of, who could redeem her and say, you can ask me to marry you if you want. That's basically what she's doing. So mom-in-law says, get cleaned up, smell real pretty, go sleep at his feet. And so Boaz wakes up and he's startled because there's this young pretty woman sleeping at his feet. I'd be like, ah, come on. Any guys, guys, help me. If you woke up in the morning, you'd be thinking, get out. <laughs> what are you doing? He doesn't do that though. This is what he does. And she explains to him, you're a near kinsman and you can marry me and bring about redemption for my line. You can bring about possibility where there is none. And, and if you do this, it will restore not only my, my mother-in-law's lineage, but it'll give me the opportunity to bring about a son who can carry on my, my dead husband's lineage as well. This is wild. This is all about redemption. We don't understand this. We think this is all perverted and sexual. So Boaz is a stud. This is what Boaz does. Oh, you know what? Here, let me load you up with a little food to bring home. He gives her 70 pounds of grain. She must have been a strong woman. I'm just saying. <laughs> she walks out with like Santa Claus bag, you know. Her mom says, where you been with Boaz? He hooked me up. You know, that's kind of how. It... But Boaz is such a man of integrity. This is what he does. He says to her, he says, listen, there is a kinsman that's nearer than me. And we need to make sure that he doesn't want to bring about redemption. So Boaz and in his integrity goes to this other guy and says, you're the nearest kinsman. And he goes, uh, no, I don't want to do that. It will mess with my inheritance. It'll mess with my life. And he says this, you go redeem her. Uses that specific word, the goel in, in Hebrew. You go redeem her. You go buy her back. You go bring possibility back into her life. By the way, type of Jesus in the Old Testament of what he does in our life in the new. You know that God comes into our lives and tries to bring about what? Hope, redemption, possibility. He tries to redeem things that are way out of line, way out of line. So, so listen, God is providential. You got to understand something about who he is. Like this is something I've been grappling with. Tell me if this wouldn't make you grapple. Like God is providential. Like things happen in our lives that are not good and God is still in the middle of it somewhere. Now listen, I want to be really clear. I did not say that God creates evil. But I do think this, God uses evil. I think when evil shows up front and center in our lives, God gets in the mix and starts to massage it into a way that can bring his glory to it. So maybe you've experienced loss. Maybe something has happened to you. Maybe it's been unjust or unfair. Am I talking to anybody in the room right now? Things that happen that are not fair, and God says this, I can redeem it. That is the picture of this story. I can bring order back to it. I can redeem it. Listen, some of you are in bad situations. You've been beat up on. You've lost love. You've lost money. 
Anybody lost money? You lost money. Somebody take advantage of you? You lost money. You, you've lost hope. This one's dangerous, by the way. Yeah, when you lose hope, that's when the, that's like the enemy's playground. When you forget that God is for you, that's like the enemy's playground. He just gets in, gets you thinking that God, God loves everybody else, but not you. Gets, you. gets you listening like this. The preacher is telling you he redeems and he restores and he brings back possibility. And what you hear is, not for me. You don't do that for me. Yeah, I see him do it for other people sometimes, but not as often as I'd like. And yeah, no, he doesn't do that. You start to listen that way. Am I talking to anybody? You ever listen with ears that are kind of plugged when it comes to restoration and redemption? Sometimes it's hard for us to hear that God is present, available, that he can restore something that is way, way upside down. L listen, can I tell you something as a pastor? My, my absolute favorite thing, not only in my own life, there are plenty of areas in my own life that I need to see God bring them back together. But my favorite thing is when I see God bring things together in your lives. When I watch him bring about possibility that was gone. When I watch him restore love in a marriage. When I watch a kid go off of drugs and get stable. When I watch somebody who was stuck on the streets get stable and in a house and, and not stuck. And when I watch somebody who's, who's doing all sorts of craziness just stop and they start honoring God with their life. Absolutely my favorite thing. You know why it's my favorite? Because I'm watching redemption. I'm watching it. It's like sometimes I, like, I'm not going to lie to you. Being a pastor is not an easy job. I'm just going to tell you straight up. You end up in the middle of tough stuff. You end up in the middle of loss. You end up in the middle of difficult things. But you also get a front row seat to redemption. Get a front row seat to it. Listen, when I encourage you all, do ministry. Get involved. Serve people. Love them. Bless them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Counsel them. What I'm saying is you get a front row seat to watching God show off. Man, that, that's a good thing. I'll tell you what. It is a really, like, I, like, whether it's my girls on the stage or when we go do mission stuff or other things that happen in the church, people praying at the altar, us doing communion together. You know, I say it for myself because it's my kids. But I also say for all of you, that I, I see stuff happen and I just think, man, they're getting a front row right now. Like, I love when I hear, like, you know, whether it's Bill or one of the other ministry teams, Caesar comes to me and goes, we were praying for somebody, Pastor. You wouldn't believe what happened. I mean, somebody messaged me this week. Hey, I went to prayer. Man, it was really, really good. They really spoke to me. This is what I thought. Front row seat to redemption. That's what I thought. It's a front row seat. You get to be God's agent to bring about possibility into people's lives. Is that a good thing or what? Man, it really, it really is. And sometimes we don't see that. Boaz was a redeemer. He got a front row seat to bringing about possibility in Ruth's life. A widow, a foreigner, a Moabitess nonetheless, cursed by God nonetheless. And brings it all back around to this possibility of redemption. So the other kinsman says, no, I don't want to do it you can have her. <laughs> now, I, I say it a little funny, but I don't think that that was his attitude in it at all. I think he understood that where his life was at, he could not take on a wife. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself. This is the, the other relative. He says, because I've jeopardized, I would jeopardize my own inheritance. In other words, he probably already had a wife and kids possibly. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, 
and she gave birth. Ruth named her son Obed. He's the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of none other than King David. Now, how does that happen? I, I mean, is that like, thank you. Is that like a crazy story? Like, how do you get that kind of possibility out of the woman who was cursed by God? How do you get that? Only God can do that is right. See, she, she's the, the grandmother, great-grandmother of King David. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> okay, so let me wrap this up for y'all. Let me bring this now New Testament. So some of you might be connecting the dots. Maybe you're not. If not, I'm going to connect them for you right now. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, I, I want to just share with you a little bit of the story of Jesus coming on the scene, but from the, one of the other Gospels. And I, I won't do a lot of reading just in light of time. So Jesus is born, and, and when, a, when a firstborn is born, it necessitates a sacrifice, a trip to the temple, and a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was redemption. That's what it was for. So Joseph and Mary bring him to the temple to offer the sacrifice. In the temple, there's a man named Simeon, and, and it says, it's said of Simeon that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And it says that of Simeon, that the Holy Spirit told him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Now, I don't know about you all. I want that kind of a promise. Hello? Like you get to live and preach until Jesus. Maybe I don't want that. Anyways, no, I do want that. I'm playing a little bit. But, but he, he knows that he's going to be alive and he's actually going to see redemption. He's actually going to see it. The Holy Spirit told him you won't die until the Messiah shows up. So Luke 2, 29 through 32, it says, Now the Lord, now Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, all people, and the glory of your people Israel. Both covered the Gentiles and the Jews. So how big of an idea is redemption in the story of Jesus? Like how big is it? It's central church. That is the point that he came to buy back what was lost. He came to restore things that you can't restore. He came like, like, listen, some of you are in hopeless situations that you cannot fix. You can't fix it unless God shows up. That's it. Unless God shows up and listen to me, God's a game changer. Would you all agree? I mean, come on. He takes a harlot and makes her part of the lineage. He takes a woman who's a widow and cursed because she's a Moabite, makes her part of the lineage. How does that happen? God. Because God's a redeemer. So just how big is the story? There's this, there's this prophetess named Anna. This is the same chapter, chapter 2. She's ministering before the Lord. She's 84 years old. She's a widow. And she's faithfully serving God night and day and fasting and prayer. This is what she says. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him of all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So you've got to get this picture that this idea of redemption was hundreds and hundreds of years old. And there were people waiting to see the Messiah. And Jesus comes through none other than the, the most like motley bunch of people you could pick. I mean, last week was terrible. This week he picked a, a harlot and a widow who was both foreigners and one of them cursed. 
So, so listen, listen. Some of you are sitting in the room and you're thinking this. Yeah, Pastor, you don't know my story. Don't need to. I can use anybody. Come on. He used a donkey in one situation. Hello? I think he can use what? A anybody. See, listen, I'm trying to... I'm sorry. I'm trying to encourage you guys because there's this, this sense of passion in me that I've watched... I've watched Christians stay stuck for long periods of time. You know, like I said, I, I get a front row seat to redemption. I also sometimes get a front row seat to, to stuckness and sometimes even destruction, bad decisions. And I get a front row seat to it. No, I love the redemption ones. They're amazing. But I've watched this almost apathy or indifference about faith in the Christian community. I have. Like God's part of the mix, but he's certainly not first. Third, fourth, seventh, eighth, tenth. When it's convenient. When my kids don't have a game. You know, whatever. You know, I, I, and I'm not saying soccer or basketball or football or track. Or, I'm not saying any of those are bad. What I am saying is when we don't put God first, we have an issue, don't we? And I've watched this in the Christian community over and over and over. And I watch this kind of perpetual kind of like a hamster on the wheel. They just run, but they don't ever really get free. It's like running to stand still, and I watch it over and over, and, and I, I'm a, to be honest with you, I've had seasons like that in my own life, where you're going through the motions, but you're not really growing, where there's not a sense of hunger, a sense of passion, a sense of desperation that if God doesn't come on the scene, you, you're pretty stuck. You know, I, I have this saying that I use often with folks, and I do this when I'm coaching or mentoring other leaders and they're working with people. I say, people will change when the pain level's high enough. That's an unfortunate truth, because sometimes I think God wants to change things before the pain level is really high. But I think oftentimes it's not until you're almost compelled to do something that I actually watch something get done. And I don't mean that as any sort of like negativity I'm just saying, I think he's better than that. I think he wants to do it before it's desperation and hopelessness. Now listen, it takes some surrender to get that. You understand that. You don't get the good things of God by holding on to your spot, your pride, your resistance, your self-reliance. You understand what I'm saying? You don't get it that way. You get it by bowing your heart. You get it by inviting them in. See, God's people understood that a redeemer was going to come. He understood that. They understood that. The truth is, the Christian community understands it. Sometimes I wonder if we live like it, though. I wonder that. Sometimes I wonder if we live like people of faith. Like, yeah, I know, that's it. Yeah, but, you know, whatever. It's just the way it is. God will never change that. My season's gone. I mean, I don't see that at all. What I see, looking at the same patriarchs, you look at Abraham. Homeboy was 100 years old when he fathered a kid. And his wife was 90. I mean, you guys are like, forget that. I'm not signing up for no 90-year-old pregnancy. I understand. But I'm saying if you were believing God for a promise, for a lineage, for a son, this is glorious. This isn't a burden. This is amazing. This isn't a bad thing. And what I'm trying to encourage you with is to step into a place where your God's a redeemer. 
Like Jesus coming in the season was not just, hey, we got this really nifty little nativity scene. We're going to do a play next week. Play's awesome. I love kids reading scriptures and learn about Jesus. But at the end of the day, if people don't come to Christ, it's just a play. If people don't discover the love of God, it's just a play. If we don't mobilize ourselves as the Christian community and start loving on hurting people and, and feeding them and serving them, it's just a play. I want you guys to step into the plan of redemption, not just for yourself, but for those who are around you as well. To understand that God buys things back, bought you, purchased you out of darkness, put you into light. So why all of this? Kevin, why don't you come up? I want to wrap up. Why all of this? Why, why even look at genealogies? You're like, Pastor, it's Christmas. That wasn't warm and fuzzy. I think it was quite warm and fuzzy to know that you were lost and you're found, that God is willing to pay whatever price is necessary to get each and every person, period. I think that's amazing. I think that's glorious. So listen, as, as we get ready to wrap up, I want to do something. I, and we've not done this in a number of weeks. We've not given opportunity for folks to get prayer. And so I want to give a few minutes for some of you to get prayer. So if you guys would take the lights down, I, I want you just to sit with God. And I'm going to post just some thoughts to you. Some things that maybe in your world you need to say, you know, I just want somebody to pray for me. And I want somebody to believe for me. If you're on the ministry team, by the way, you can step out and come on up front because we are, are going to transition into just giving opportunity um, for some folks to get some ministry and receive some ministry. So why all of this? Why would God do it this way? Other than God has a plan of redemption, I don't know why God would make it so big and mysterious, so um, out of the ordinary why he would say one thing about a group of people and then see their heart, their willingness to go with him and change his mind because they were committed to him. See, I think it's beautiful when, when I see God make a deliberate stance on, on someone's behavior to resist him, to reject him, to, to step away from his love. And then you have a person in the midst of that whole community says yes to God and he says yes to them. I just think that's, that's really amazing. I think it's really amazing. See, faith is the way that we enter into God's plan. When you're wondering, how do I receive grace? How do I step into goodness? How do I do something that changes my, how do I not just come to church again? Nothing wrong with coming to church. But when you come to church, you should expect a touch of God. You should expect a touch of the supernatural. You should expect a circumstance that's broken to be fixed. You should expect to get direction and light and hope and favor. You should expect God to show up. This makes sense, church? That's what should happen when you come to church. Not come in and leave the same way you came. You should come in and receive. You should come in and sit in his presence. You should come in and have him release something bigger and broader in you. See, faith is the way that you enter into the plan of God. Rahab believed, and she entered into the plan of God. Ruth believed, and he entered into the plan of God. Simeon in the temple believed, and he entered into the plan of God. Anna the prophetess believed. 
and she entered into the plan of God. Listen, some of you this morning need redemption. And I don't mean knowing that you're saved. I mean, you need God to touch a circumstance in your life. You need him to show up. See, and I think it's kind of wild the way God works that most of our journey with God is slow. Slow growth, little transformations over and over. His consistency in our lives to bring about change. But every now and again, he just shows up. Every now and again, it's just glory to God in the highest. Every now and again, you just sit back and you watch him do what is impossible, miraculous, supernatural. In my sense, as I was studying this week and just, God, what do you really want to say to the people? Like, we're going through this thing on genealogies and we're looking at the impossibility of man's circumstances and the, the possibility of God entering into them. And I think, man, that's awesome. But God, what do you want to do? And he said, I, I want to make crooked things straight. <laughs> I want to step into people's lives. I want to do some, some supernatural, in the moment, immediate transformation stuff. Now, this is what I know about that sort of stuff. Those don't come if you don't operate in faith. Those don't come if you sit in the seats and you don't respond. Now, now listen, I'm not saying that walking up here is going to make it different than sitting there. What I am saying is it takes faith to step into the possibility. God takes faith to go outside of your comfort zone. Like I'm reminded of the woman at the well. Not the well, pardon me, the woman with the issue of blood. And Jesus is walking through the crowd and everybody's touching him. And she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples kind of look at him like, everybody is touching you, Jesus. And he said, no, I perceive that power went out from me. There was a, a supernatural moment. I believe that that is what God wants to do for some people this morning. So listen, I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray with you. We're going to worship a song. And as, as we worship, if you're in a situation that you need God to really show up, you need clarity, you need direction, you need redemption, you need restoration, you need his possibility to happen in your life. You, you need a, a Ruth moment where I'm a widow who's cursed and I'm not even part of this whole clan thing. And, and then God shows up and supernaturally makes a way for her to become all that he intended her to be. Let's pray for a moment. God, your word declares over us in Romans chapter 5 that hope does not disappoint us because your love is shed abroad in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would start to release a sense of hope. God, I pray for a lifting off of anxiety and despair and depression and just so many of the ailments that, that just infiltrate our lives and the pressures that make it so difficult for us to see you right now, I just ask that your peace would come over us. That there would be that sense of a connection point with you. Emmanuel, God with us. God with you. And God, I pray for those in the room who are, are, are very much in a spot where they need to see your release, your redemption. 
that as we go into a time of worship and prayer, we invite you to have your way and do what you determined before the foundations of the world to accomplish in this place today. God, I believe that you want to do some supernatural stuff this morning. And God, I want to release faith over those sitting in the room that they would receive supernatural stuff this morning. So God, we commit this song, these few minutes that we'll have together as we close for you to do what you do. Show off, God. We pray that you would come and minister redemption and wholeness and life. So listen, if you're here and you need prayer, doesn't matter what the prayer is for, I want you to sneak out of your seat, come up, let one of these folks pray with you and believe for you.
I know there's a few more of you that still might want prayer, but I'm going to dismiss the lot of you. And, and if you need prayer, I just want you to come and sneak up. If they're praying for somebody already, that's fine. As soon as they're done, they will pray with you. But let me bless you and just send you out this morning. God, thank you so much um, that we can gather in this Christmas season to discover this beauty of redemption, this idea that that Jesus was a near kinsman to us and he bought us back because we as the church are in fact the bride of Christ. So God, I pray that we would go encouraged. I pray that we would go fulfilled and blessed. Thank you for this Christmas season and all that it means. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you need to excuse yourself, please do so quietly. If you still need prayer, come on up. Be happy to pray with everyone who needs it. To thee, oh Israel.